Good morning. I'm Mike. I'm part of the Lakeview Church family. I'm glad you're here today. It's good to see your faces. Today we're talking about loving relationships in regards to discipleship and why loving relationships are important. So we're coming at it from the angle of discipleship, so I want to talk about discipleship a little bit first. I want to start with a simple definition. A disciple is a follower or student of a teacher. So that's pretty simple. We're disciples of Jesus. We follow him. We learn from him. At Lakeview, we say that a disciple is somebody who's following Jesus even if they're the last one in line. You don't have to be a super Christian. You come to faith, you start following Jesus. Seems pretty simple. But then in Luke chapter 14, Jesus says this, In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So all of a sudden, it's not quite as simple. If you're not willing to give up everything you have, if you haven't given up everything you have, you can't be Jesus' disciple. To me, that doesn't sound like a starting point or the starting line. That sounds like the finish line, that after a life of learning to love Jesus, you get to where you can give up everything to him. But he says that's where you start. If I'm not number one, if I'm not the most important, you can't claim to be following me. So it's not as simple. Now I want to share the Great Commission, Matthew 28, Jesus' charge really to the church. Uh, Right before he leaves, Jesus says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So I've got a few words underlined there. Disciples, teaching, obey, commanded. So making disciples is related to teaching and our obedience to God's commands. Okay. Now I want to share a teaching of Jesus. This is on the night he was betrayed in the upper room, part of his last Passover meal. Jesus says this. John 13, same verse that Jim had read, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Again, our love for each other will be our identifying characteristic, how people know that we are following Jesus. So he brings love into the mix with this idea of discipleship. Now, In the same teaching, a few verses later, we have this. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey my commands. Okay, so it sounds like love is a precondition to be able to obey Jesus and follow him. Okay. Well, just a few verses later, in 14, 21, Jesus says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. It seems like it's flipped. Like obedience comes before love. So it's kind of confusing. If I combine all of these verses in my head, we're supposed to love Jesus so that we have the ability to obey him. We're supposed to uh, teach people to obey. I combine these and I feel like we're supposed to teach people to love Jesus. I couldn't find a verse that said teach people to love Jesus, but that seems to be where it's headed. I don't know. So when I think about my faith journey, when you think about your faith journey, who taught you how to love Jesus? 
Can you teach somebody how to love Jesus? Here's four bullet points. How to love Jesus. Or is loving Jesus a natural response to His love for us? When we come to an understanding, when somebody explains to us how much Jesus loved us, that He went to the cross for us because He loved us, for the joy set before Him, is our loving Him a natural response to that? How God wired us. We receive love. It's in our nature to return love. Is that how we learn to love Jesus? I don't know. But just five verses later, we have this. Jesus says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit that taught me to teach Jesus. I don't The Holy Spirit certainly gave me the ability to understand the gospel and gave me the ability and the heart to receive it and accept it. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit that taught me how to love Jesus. Hard to argue with that, right? I don't know. But think about that. Who taught you how to love Jesus? This brings us to our series called Half-Brained Christianity, sharing some information from the book, The Other Half of Church. Andy started talking about this last week, and he shared this slide, a little bit of uh, brain science from the book, the two sides of our brains. So the left side is uh, rational and thinking, and it's our consciousness. It's where we make decisions and process things, where our speech is developed. And the right side is where our emotions are. It's where we get attached to people. It's the side that takes in the information from our senses, and the right side of our brain is processing information before we're even aware of it. Before it even makes it to the left side of our brain, the right side of our brain is making decisions about, how, about our environment and how we should respond to it. I've simplified this a little bit on the next slide, and I just say that the left side is what we know, the right side is who we are, the left side is rational, the right side is relational. So who we are, our character, is really housed in the right side of our brain. I was at a big box store in Madison roughly 20 years ago. And I was close to the front, can't remember what I was doing, but all of a sudden this woman starts yelling at the person behind the service desk. I mean yelling loud so everybody in the store can hear. You need to do this, you can't do that. And I couldn't see who it was, so I did this. And I looked. I thought, oh, I know her. She goes, she goes to Lakeview. And I immediately I thought, I hope nobody knows she's a Christian. Right? They'll know us by our love. And she's there just making a fool of herself, I felt like. Uh, now, she doesn't do that on Sunday morning, but in that context, she did. Where does that come from? Now, she might think, I'm going to go throw a fit so I can get my way, but it's really part of her character, right? It's learned behavior. It's how she's wired. That's really the right side of her brain. I might think I could throw a fit and get my way, but I'm not going to go throw a fit and make a fool out of myself because it's not in my character. At least I like to think it's not. hope it's not. But anyway, the right side is really who we are and it's our character. Now, Andy shared last week, as we think about discipleship, 
what side of the brain has the modern church, by modern I mean the last 300 years, been emphasizing? The left side or the right side? The left side. We've been emphasizing that, and I have on here on this next slide, that thinking is our character is formed by combining truth and good choices. So that's not bad thinking. So when I started coming to Lakeview in the 90s, I got in a Bible study, small group, a navigator study. So in navigator studies, you memorize Scripture. We memorized 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation is seized you except what is common to God. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. It's a good Bible verse to know. So the idea is, okay, the next time I'm tempted, I recall that Bible verse. And I think, well, this is nothing out of the ordinary. This is common. But God's provided a way out. What's the way out in this situation? Well, it's probably saying no or leaving. That'll handle most temptations. You either say no or you say no and leave. Problem solved. Flee from the devil and he'll flee from you, right? Now, I make that proper, correct choice and I take a step towards Jesus. I'm doing what he would do in that situation. And I repeat that decision over and over and it becomes part of my character and pretty soon I don't have to think about it. I don't have to recall the Bible verse. I naturally respond the way Jesus would respond. So that's that model. And... The problem with that is it doesn't always work and it works better for some people than other people. And the reason it doesn't always work is because that's not the way our character is naturally formed. Our character is naturally formed on the right side of our brain and the thinking is this. Our character is formed by imitating those to whom we are attached. This happens naturally without us putting effort into it. So when we're born, we naturally attach to our parents and we imitate them. Whether we want to or not, we tend to imitate them because that's how we're wired. So if we want to develop our character to be more like Christ, if we want to make the decisions that Jesus would make without even thinking about it, we need to be attached to people who are good examples. And then our character development will happen much more naturally. Now, we need good teaching. We need good doctrine. But we also need the relational side. We need the examples. So on my first visit to Lakeview in the 90s, I didn't have a Bible-believing church background. I had a mainstream Protestant church background. And I had tried a few different churches, and, and, I, and I came to Lakeview on the advice of a friend and I came in, and they had Bible teaching, which was new to me. A ton of Bible verses explaining the Bible to me. I appreciated that. I enjoyed that. I liked that. But at the same time, the people seemed different. They were happy to be in church. That was a new experience for me. It looked like these people would go to church even if they didn't think they were supposed to. They weren't there under a sense of obligation. They were happy to be there. That was new to me. I liked that. That was attractive. I was, it was a much smaller church. I was a 28-year-old single guy, so it was pretty easy to pick me out as new. But I had men come up and, and look me in the eye and shake my hand and said, I'm glad you're here. That had a big, big impact on me. I never, I never stopped coming because of that. But it was both sides. It was the teaching and it was the relationship. It was the love that I felt and sensed 
that was in that community that made a difference and it made me stick. So that's important. So relationships are important so we have good examples to follow. What do we need for healthy relationships and community? I, got, I want to back up. I want to share this quote which, which emphasizes what I just said. This is a quote from the book. It says, We need good teaching, but we also need good images. We need to see what it looks like to live in God's kingdom, and Jesus gave us both. We make a grave mistake when we think that teaching alone is sufficient. Our character is formed by imitating those to whom we are attached. So if our character is formed by imitating people that we're attached to in loving relationships, what do we need to have these loving relationships that are positive and healthy so our character can change? Uh, the book says there's four things that we really need. Andy talked about the first one last week, and it was joy. So we as believers have joy because of our relationship with Jesus, right? That's kind of the ultimate joy. It's bigger than our circumstances. It's based on our relationship, based on Jesus' promises to us. That's where we get joy. But unbelievers can also have joy, not the same joy we have. And we can have uh, joy outside of our uh, kind of Christian circumstances, you might say. And that joy happens when we're with people that want to be with us. It's how our brains are wired. And Andy shared last week, you hold a baby, you smile, your eyes get big, maybe you raise your voice and you let that baby know, I'm happy to be holding you. And the baby learns to respond to that. And through that, the baby learns how to give and receive love. And if they don't receive that love at an early age, they can develop what? Attachment disorder. They never learn how to give and receive love. So that's something we have to learn. And we learn that naturally as we're with people that love us and provide for us. Or if we have young kids and we come home and the young kids yell, Mommy, Mommy, Daddy, Daddy, we're happy to see you. They have joy in their faces and their faces light up. So when somebody's face lights up when they see you, that does something to your brain. You can tell that. And that's, that's not something that you can easily fake. I want to do a little experiment here. On the count of three, we're going to make our faces light up. So I'll make my face light up at you, and you make your face light up at me. Okay, ready? One, two, three. How, how did that work? Did you sense that I was happy that you're here? It's, it's, hard, to make, it's hard to fake that, right? It's hard, it's hard to fake it. But it, when, when it's sincere, somehow... We make eye contact with somebody that's happy to be with us. Our brain registers that and we know it. And it's part of what we need for healthy relationships. So that's important to know. Now, I started reading this book three or four weeks ago, uh, preparing for the sermon, and I started thinking about coming home to the kids, and I, and I started thinking about, you know, when I see my wife, when I come home or whenever we greet each other, uh, does her face light up when she sees me? Does my face light up when I see her? And I thought, you know, I should probably do a little better than I've been doing. Be better at uh, expressing nonverbal cues that I love her. So I've been trying to do that, to get in her face kind of, make eye contact and let her know I'm happy to be with you. 
show joy on my face. And I am happy to be with her. So last week after church, we went down and we did pizza where we had a chance to meet some new people. We really enjoyed that. We went to the grocery store and then uh, we went home. So it was maybe 1.30 when we got home, kind of a long morning. And she sat down in her chair and I'm like, well, you know, I want to express love. And so she's in her chair in a dress that came down to about her knee. So, you know, I got down in front of her on one knee and I slid my hand up her thigh and grabbed the back of her neck and kissed her and told her I loved her. And then I got up and, and, and she said, of course, I'm pretty proud of myself that, you know, going to that effort. And she says to me, well, do you want to do something or go somewhere? And I, I was like, no, why? And she said, you usually only pay attention to me when you want something. <laughs> and I was hurt. And I, this is what I, I said, that is not true. <laughs> and I thought, on behalf of myself and men everywhere, that is not how we act. Is it women? No, no, we're not like that at all. But it made me think. And then I shared this kind of joy thing and that I've been uh, trying to be extra intentional on expressing love. And she was kind of like, yeah, haven't, haven't picked up on that. So <laughs> evidently, I'm not very good at it. Maybe I'm out of practice and I need to work harder on it. So I'll... I'll I'll try to work harder on that in the future. But interesting thing, she told me this. She says, do you remember what you told me when you moved to Evansville? And of course, I'm, no, I have no idea what, you know. And she says, well, the, the back story is she had kids in the Evansville, Evansville School District when I married her. She didn't want to move out of the district because she didn't want her kids to have to get new friends. And, and so part of the package was I was going to live in Evansville, which to me, seemed like forever away, way down in Rock County. And, and so she says, you told me you'll live in Evansville, but you're going to get home later than you would normally get home, which is already late. And so I said, we can live in Evansville. My mouth is getting dry. We can live in Evansville, but when I get home, I want you to hug me and be happy that I'm home. Don't be upset that I'm home late. And I had forgotten that, and that was, that was interesting in the, in the context of my thinking about greeting my spouse. And, uh, but I knew getting married, that was important to how I felt, is be happy that I'm home, not upset that I'm home late. So all of that to say, when you greet people that you love, your parents, your kids, a spouse, good friends, do you communicate that you're happy to see them? Or, or do they walk in the house and you grunt as they walk by you? Which would be maybe the norm, right? Oh, I, you know, did you do this on the way home like you were supposed to? So how we greet each other is important, and how we greet each other at church is important. When you're in the lobby, are you happy for every person that's here, whether you know them or not? Do you go up and greet anybody and smile and say, glad you're here? And you don't have to be a longtime member to do that. This can be your second week here. And you can go up and say, hi, I'm so-and-so. Nice to meet you. I'm glad you're here. Do we do that? I think that's important as we strive to show our love for each other that marks us as disciples. Now, what's the second thing we need for healthy relationships? We need loving attachments. Loving attachments are love relationships where we can give and receive love that isn't based on performance. 
It's family love. You love your kids despite their performance, or you should. It's the love that God has for us. When we come to faith in God, his love isn't based on our performance. Praise the Lord, right? So I think of this uh, Old Testament Hebrew word, said, and I think of Lamentations uh, 3, 21, 22. It says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So in the NIV, this said is translated as great love. Other translations handle it differently. Steadfast love, faithful love, whatever. But the idea is that it's a love that you can count on. God's not going to take it away. It's not based on your performance. And that's important to know, and that's important to us as believers. So I have this next slide. Our said attachment to God is a family bond. Through faith, we become his children. So there's all kinds of family imagery in the Bible. God is our Father. As believers, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're in the family. That's important. Uh, one, I bring the next image up. This is a picture of my dad and my daughters taken in 2008. I company I own took play, part in the uh, Extreme Makeover Home Edition that was done in Richland Center. So they remember for that show, they built a house in a week and they gave it to somebody. Uh, Ty and Paige were the stars of the show. Well, we did the grading around the building for that show, and so I got a few VIP passes. And this picture came to mind when I think about family, because one of the things my dad told me once, and he only told me once, but I still remember it, he said, family's all that matters in the end, because in the end, family's all you've got. Your bank account isn't going to come visit you in the hospital. It's just going to be your family. So it's in the end, family's all you've got. So life is all about relationships. And eternal life is all about relationships, right? Relationship with Jesus. And we say Christianity isn't a religion. It's a relationship, right? A relationship with Jesus. And the other reason I, I thought of this picture that it came to mind is there were two lines. So this tent was up there. They had a sign that said VIPs. And they had a sign that said, Regular Joes. And my wife took my dad's picture in front of the Average Joes, Regular Joe, Average Joe sign, because my dad's name is Joe. And so that kind of, you know, makes sense. That's cute. But there was two lines. I don't think you could buy a VIP pass. You had to be given the pass, which I had. So it reminds me of judgment. Never are we judged to decide if we're in God's family or not, or if we're going to go to heaven or go to hell. You're in God's family or you're not. You've got your VIP pass or you don't. You know what line to go in. When I first started coming to Lakeview and I learned that there were two distinct judgments like that, that helped me to understand where I stood. I knew what line I was going to be in. And that was important to me. So it's this family connection to God that really matters. That's what brought that picture to mind. So we have this relationship with God, this bond that we get through our faith in Jesus when we understand what he do has done for us and we accept that. But what helps us to form attachments with each other? 
just in general, the way we're wired. Well, eating together and showing weakness are two things that help us to form attachments with each other. The eating together makes me think of Revelation 3.20. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That's a picture of us responding to God's gospel call, Jesus knocking at the door. If we accept that call, if we open the door of our heart, if you will, he'll come in and eat with us, which is a picture of fellowship. I'll do life with you. That's why Jesus got in trouble for eating with tax collectors and sinners, because eating was a sign of close fellowship in that culture. So we can eat together. The other thing is that we can show weakness. We can be open. We can be vulnerable. We can be honest. Uh, Paul said, if I boast of anything, I'll boast of my weaknesses. In my weaknesses, I'm strong. Now, gospel communities are starting up. Uh, Jim just did the announcement starting in a couple weeks. The way those are structured is we're going to eat together, which will help us to bond. And then it's also going to include a time of prayer where we can pray for each other if we want. Prayer is a good time to show weakness. I need prayer for this because of this. I'm struggling with this. These are my circumstances. I'm doubting God's love for me. Can you pray for me? That's a chance to show weakness to develop these bonds in the context of gospel communities. And in those communities, we can develop some relationships and have some good examples that will change our character. Jesus knew that teaching and example were both important. So in the same setting, uh, this is John 13.1. So this is the upper room, again, the last Passover meal, the night he was betrayed, Jesus said this. Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his time had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now loved them to the very end. I like that translation. He loved them to the very end. That's one of those little phrases that I've glossed over in the past in reading the Bible. But he loved them to the very end. And then what did Jesus do? As they're arriving in the upper room, he washed the disciples' feet. He humbled himself. He showed love. He modeled it by washing their feet. And then he said this, starting with verse 12. So when Jesus had washed their feet and put his outer clothing back on, he took his place at the table again and said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and do so correctly, for that is what I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you too ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. You should do just as I have done for you. He understand, understood the importance of images. That the right side of our brain recalls those images. It remembers those images. And they stay with us. If Jesus had just taught them, he could have said, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. He could have just given them a Bible verse, but that wouldn't have had the same effect as him getting down and washing their feet. The image, the example is important. Paul knew the importance of examples also. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
the power of an example. You can think about your life who has been examples in your life. Now, in preparing for the sermon, I dug out a vision statement or a vision uh, paper that Andy and the elders passed out a couple years ago. And it, it's, a, it's a vision thing, so it's like, this is where we want to go. This is what we want to move towards. And they say this on true relationships. We believe that disciples are made in the context of intentional, authentic relationships. Programs don't make disciples. People do. Thus, we don't just attend, we belong. Lakeview is our spiritual home, and we are members of the family. We belong, or we long to be a church where we love, where our love for one another and others who visit is palpable and shared. So as a church, that's the direction we want to be going. We want people to be able to sense our love and be aware of it. When they come here on a Sunday morning, they want to be able to, we want them to be able to look at us and say, those people seem happy to be here. They seem different. That's where we're moving. I'd like to invite the, the worship team up as we end up here. So my question for you here is this. Who do you have in your life that is a good example? Or when you think about your faith story, does it include some people that made an impact on you that were good examples? Maybe they modeled loving Christ, and because of that, you knew what it looked like to love Jesus. Who has been a good example for you? And have you ever thanked them? Have you ever sent them a card or a text and said, thank you for being a good example? It might mean a lot to them if you were doing that. Six years ago, when Lakeview was looking for a new lead pastor, I was on the team tasked with that. And I remember telling the team, what we need as much as anything is a good example. I want somebody where I can sit in the pew, and as he preaches, I think, I want to have the kind of faith he has. I want to hear from God like he hears from God. I want to trust like he trusts. I want to be the husband and father that he is. I need a good example, somebody to emulate. We need a leader that's following Christ, and we can follow him and Christ together. That's important. Uh, how many people listened to Ravi Zacharias on the way to church this morning? I saw that hand come up for a second. No. Yes. Uh, wonderful Bible teacher. Great teaching. I love listening to him. Listening to him. Why is he not on the radio? He's a bad example. If you're a bad example, it doesn't matter how good your teaching is. We don't want to hear it. It's the way we're wired. And that's maybe a good thing. So I'm going to close us in prayer and then the, the worship team will lead us in a couple songs. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us and we thank you for how you've designed us. Help us to show your love to others and we pray that you would bring loving relationships into our life, uh, attachments where we can give and receive love without fear. Thank you for loving us first. Help us to show that love to others. Amen.